Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Will you go with me to Hebrews chapter 10? And we're going to look at verses 26 to 39. We'll finish this chapter this morning. And um, we're provided with the fourth of five warnings in the book of Hebrews. Like the previous one given back in chapter 6, this one is often used by those who believe that someone who has genuinely trusted in Jesus as their Savior can lose that salvation. It's used as evidence for this incorrect belief. Uh, But there are clear and certain indications in this passage that this is not the case at all. Uh, For one, the human author is inspired by God at the beginning and the end, at verse 26 and verse 39, uh, to use the pronoun we. And I would say it's highly unlikely that he was on the road to apostasy himself. Um, No, what we have here, as has been the case before, is a hypothetical situation given by God for the purpose of pushing us in perseverance, compelling us to continue in the faith which we initially came to Christ. Uh, The severe admonition, and it is that in this warning, it's a strong motivation for us to stay the course. Let's read chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. It says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly while you were made gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that that last verse we just read would be true of every single person in this room, in the next service, and who will be watching later. That we are not those who draw back in faith to perdition, but of them that continue in faith to the believing and to the saving of the soul. God, let your Holy Spirit teach us what you want us to know 
through this gift you've given to us here at the end of chapter 10. God, may we respond to your word uh, in humility and in repentance, if need be, ultimately in faith. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So really, we just have two things taught here, unbelief and belief. Uh, the sin of unbelief, first of all, in verses 26 to 31, and we're given its destiny. He goes straight to the end, result of unbelief. Verse 26 begins his fourth warning by introducing us to a particular sin. That sin is not identified in that single verse, but it becomes very clear when we read this whole passage together. It's a sin of apostasy, a sin of unbelief. Uh, it's a sin of hearing the gospel, and then as it says there in verse 26, willfully, willfully rejecting the salvation that God offers to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, well, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And that adverb, willfully, uh, it has the implication that this was an informed choice. Uh, to reject God's offer of salvation. And not just in an informed decision, but, but the present tense of the verb indicates that it's also habitual rejecting. And for the original audience that this was written to here, who were facing persecution and the temptations of this world, and who may have been tempted to, to jettison their faith in Christ and return to a pointless works-based religion, God finishes verse 26 with a rough reality. He says, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. God's saying there, don't do that because there's no other way. In the previous chapters, God has clearly stipulated that all those Old Testament and Old Covenant sacrifices, they were inadequate in dealing with sin. They were never designed to. Their purpose was only to be a type, a shadow that would point those who were expressing their faith that way, to point them to a faith in the perfect and adequate and full and final once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He would deal with their sin problem. He would provide salvation. And God's telling us in verse 26 what he tells us in Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Just Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Amen. If we sin willfully by rejecting that way, well, we have only one destiny. Verse 27 talks about that, a certain count on it, fearful, unimaginably terrifying, looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. It's God's saying, look for it. That is what is ahead. That is the destiny of anyone who would reject the salvation that God offers to us in Jesus Christ. The reality of the destiny of man, of those who refuse to receive the salvation that we have in Christ, it may seem harsh as it's described here in, in other scriptures, fiery indignation. Well, hell is harsh. <laughs> it is. Uh, albeit, it's not an inappropriate um, consequence for the rebellion against God that our sin is. And, and it's also not necessary for anyone to experience if they will only humbly bow at the cross of Jesus Christ for salvation. Repenting and believing, confessing their sin, their need for a Savior, and trusting in who Jesus is and what he did for them on that cross and in that empty tomb to save them from such a destiny. 
And at the end of verse 27, God calls those who do this, who sin willfully by rejecting the salvation that he offers them in Christ, he calls them adversaries, enemies of God. And make no mistake, that is what our sin and our rejection of salvation makes us. We're given an illustration from the Old Testament in the next verses, verses 28 to 31. It further describes the sin of unbelief, and it teaches us why such a destiny is warranted, why it is just for God to send someone to hell who rejects the salvation he offers them in Jesus Christ. Here is unbelief described in verses 28 to 31. Here's the illustration, first of all, in verses 28 and 29. The sin of unbelief, the sin of rejecting salvation through God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, it's described here as despising God's word. Verse 28, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And and honestly, that is the Bible's description of, of all sin and any sin. It is what Adam and Eve did when they yielded to temptation in the Garden of Eden. They chose to believe Satan's lie over God's commandment and his promise for obedience. They despised God's word. It it is actually the word-for-word phrase that Nathan the prophet uses when he confronts David about his sin of adultery and murder. He asked David in 2 Samuel 12, 9, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing this evil in his eyes? And listen, if you and I would actually see Sin as how God sees it, according to God's description here, that it's a despising of God's word, I truly believe that we would have a whole lot easier time uh, resisting its dangerous and deadly allure. That's exactly what God calls it here in verse 28. That sin, that unbelief, it is despising God's word. Willful, unrepentant sin under the Mosaic law, the consequence was death. Dying without mercy, it says. And you look at verse 29, it says, since this was the case back then, a willful rejection of the salvation that God offers us in Jesus Christ by faith. Now, well, it, it warrants an even sorer punishment. And God gives us the reason why by further describing the sin of unbelief here. This is how God sees faithlessness, trotting underfoot the Son of God, walking right over Jesus Christ using who he is and what he's done for you as a doormat to wipe your feet on. It's, it further says, it's counting the blood of Christ, the, the blood of the covenant that, that saves us and sets us apart from sin to God. It's counting it as an unholy thing. Uh, not just mundane or, or worthless. The term unholy actually implies that his blood is both powerless and actually polluted. And it's an insulting outrage to the Holy Spirit who calls us to faith and God's grace to us in Christ. A willful rejection of the salvation that God offers to us in Jesus, it is a sin of unbelief that is so, dis- so despicable that the destiny promised in verse 27, certain judgment and fiery indignation, it's only proper. It's God's just vengeance, recompense, and judgment for rejecting Christ. A fearful falling into the hands of the living God, as verse 31 said. Do you understand you will be in his hands one of two ways? You can enter there through the blood of Christ, and it's a providing, protecting, eternally protecting place. Or you can fall into them for eternal judgment and vengeance because of your willful rejection of Christ. And that that last way does not have to be your experience if you will by faith believe. 
if we will by faith receive the salvation that God offers us in the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. That's unbelief. I'm glad there's verses 32 to 39 as it describes the salvation that is ours through belief. Um, and, and really, it's interesting. It describes them in verses 32 to 36 through our conduct. And I like that because so often um, when maybe we only look at one verse or one small uh, section of verses, a passage, we can kind of see faith and works as uh, opposites, faith and our conduct as uh, opposites. Well, they're not. That they're a cause and effect uh, relationship. I think the most simple way to consider it biblically is in a two-word sentence. Faith works. Yeah, true saving faith always will result in, in works. Um, and here, belief, faith in Jesus Christ the Savior, it's actually described by its behavior. In verse 32, God urges those who have trusted in the way of salvation that he's provided to us in Jesus Christ. He encourages us to continue believing, first by remembering their earlier endurance. Verse 32 says, uh, but call to remembrance. He wants them to think back. The former days in which after you were uh, illuminated. They had just come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you remember when you got saved? They had just come to faith in Jesus Christ. And life was never easier for them, Right? That's not what this passage says at all. No. Instead, they endured a, what does verse 32 say? A great fight. Ugh. A great fight of afflictions. I, I don't know how prosperity theology preachers deal with verses like these. I suppose they don't. They just ignore them. Um, but we had better understand that if we are going to persevere and endure, if we're going to continue in the faith that we came to, this is just par for the course in the Christian life. Um, after all, that's what Jesus promised his disciples. That's what he promised all those who will follow him. In John 16, 31, in this world you will have what? Tribulation, right? Don't fear. Don't fear. I have overcome the world. And it's what God communicated was ahead for the apostle Paul in Acts 9, 16. He had just trusted in Christ as his savior. God has Ananias tell him, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Woo! Doesn't that sound great? Sign me up for that. Yeah, no, that's, that's what we're learning here in verse 32. He actually wants them to call to remembrance, not just the day that they were saved, but how right after they were saved, they endured a great fight of afflictions. God tells the Christian in 1 Peter 4.12 that when, not if, when, we read that earlier in our scripture reading time, when fiery trials come our way, don't think of them as unusual. Don't think of them as strange. And the church here in Hebrews 10, 33 and 34 sure had them, didn't they? I mean, listen to the description that is there. Verse 33 says, they were recipients of mocking. We're pretty blessed here in our country that that's probably the extent most of us have ever experienced as far as persecution and enduring for the faith. Verse 33 says, the faith and endurance they had through suffering, though it was a public spectacle, the mocking they endured. They experienced, it says, reproaches and, and afflictions. And they were even companions. Or what, what that means is they suffered right alongside of others 
who experienced the same. And then in verse 34, it tells us that some of them, it went a little more. They, they, they faced imprisonment. And even those who didn't, they suffered by association. It's likely that they visited their fellow believers who were imprisoned for their faith. And as a result, it says there in verse 34, they had people come in and raid their homes, spoiling their goods. I want you to notice how God's word says they responded to all of these afflictions. How? Joyfully, right? And then what it says there? Joyfully. They counted it all joy, as we're told to do in James chapter 1, whenever affliction comes our way. That's tough to do, isn't it? It's tough to do. Look, there is only one way that a Christian can count it all joy when you experience suffering or afflictions. Um, it's through faith. <laughs> It's through faith. It's through belief. It's by believing what the end of verse 34 says that they believe. Look at what it says. Knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. If they, uh, like this hymn we sung, if they had that hymn back then, I believe this would have been their favorite verse, the last one. Let goods and kindreds go. Everything I have, even my family, let them go. In this mortal life also, even my life, the body they may kill, God's truth abides still, amen? His kingdom is forever. We have in heaven a better and enduring substance. In verse 35, God gives them and, and us here this morning this urgent command, don't cast away your confidence. Continue in the faith that you've come to Christ with. It has great recompense of reward. He's saying you started out in faith, Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Don't jettison your faith when afflictions come. Don't let belief become unbelief just because persecution or temptations come. Endure. Persevere. And then verse 36 echoes the truth given so far. It says, For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You understand that there is a purpose in whatever you're going through. That was, that's my summation of Grace's song. There is a purpose in what you are going through. Um, there's a purpose in your patient endurance through it. We already mentioned James 1 where it says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How can you do that? By faith, by belief. That's what it says right there. Just like verse 34 here. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, it works patience. And let patience have its perfect work so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Did you get that? There's a work. There's a purpose in it. There's a point to whatever affliction God has sent your way and given you to endure. And it's our work, it's our conduct to believe, to believe, to be faithful. Do you see how the Christian faith, how our belief has been described here in these verses in terms of conduct? It's not just the cerebral thing, something we only think about, something that we live through endurance, through perseverance. And then look at its culmination in verses 37 to 39. The culmination of our salvation through belief in Jesus Christ, it's already been described in the last word of both verse 35 and 36, reward, promise, and that sounds good. When do we get that? Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. So once again, our faith here and now, it is, uh, it is 
to be fueled by our reward than and there. The better and enduring substance of our promise and reward in heaven. And an eternal reward for faith. Eternal peace. Eternal prosperity. No sin. No pain. No death. Won't that be wonderful? It's a reward worth being faithful for. But, but the reward of all rewards, none of that's actually mentioned in verse 37. The substance of all substances is Christ himself. He's mentioned in verse 37 as our reward. For yet a little while and he will come. He won't tarry. Jesus Christ and being in his presence, that is the culmination of our salvation through belief. Present forever with our Savior face to face. It is the uh, belief in the promised reward that we're told to look for at the end of God's word to us, Revelation 21, 3. It says, behold, look, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. We're going to sing in a couple minutes here and as a closing song, an old hymn that describes all of that. The first verse, I believe, says, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? Because we really can't even imagine. When with rapture I behold him, you can actually see the one who died for you, Jesus Christ who died for me. And later it says, only faintly, now I see him. That's how we see right now. With a darkened veil between, but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. That's what verse 37 is talking about. Verse 38 says, the just, they live by faith. They live. Those who are saved by faith, they live their saved lives by faith. It's our habit. It's how we operate. It's how we endure. It's how we persevere. Some people don't. That's what verse 38 says. They draw back. Persecution comes. Maybe temptation, the allure of this world's treasures and pleasures comes their way. And their profession of faith, it ends. It's frightening to realize. Verse 38 says that those who are justified by faith, those who have genuinely been born again by receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior, who not just profess faith, but actually possess faith in Christ, they endure, they persevere. Verse 39, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. We're of them that believe to the saving of the soul. They believe to the saving of their soul forever. I think one of my favorite quotes from the uh, pastor and theologian John Stott it is this, he who stands firm in the faith to the end will be saved. Not because salvation is a reward for your endurance, but because endurance is just a hallmark of the saved. It's what we do. Those who are truly saved endure. They persevere. It's what the Holy Spirit does in us. Dublin First Baptist Church, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. We are them that believe to the saving of the soul. Amen? Amen. Are you, though? Only if you trusted in Christ as Savior. And if you've never done that before, make today the day that happens. Even as I'm talking right now, before we close, call out to God right as I'm talking. Tell him that you trust in what Jesus did for you to save you for your sins. Confess your sin to him. Receive him as Savior. But Christian, has affliction come your way? Sometimes you tell me, sometimes you don't. 
And I don't know, there could be people here right now that it feels like wave after wave is crashing down on you and you're gasping for air. Can I just share with you one of my favorite quotes from Charles Haddon Spurgeon near the end of his life when he had learned this endurance, this perseverance. He said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Very same thing that Grace said, saying earlier. What if it's God sent? No, it is God sent. So this is my prayer now. God sent. Won't you ask God for his strength to learn to kiss those waves this morning? Won't you pray, God, I am enduring a great fight of afflictions right now. So please help me to believe like these believers here in Hebrews chapter 10. Help me to take joyfully, (laughs) joyfully whatever you've sent. Letting patience have its perfect work in me. God, help me not cast away my confidence because I know, I know it has great reward. Help me to hold to your promise. Church, continue in the faith that you came to, believing to the saving of your souls. I'll have Pastor Tommy come now and we'll have a time of invitation. However, God has used his Holy Spirit uh, and his word to call you to respond today. I just ask that you'd obey.